James is laughing in the front because uh, I always kick the, the leg if it's over here and not less scared I'm going to trip. Uh, so uh, wives are amazing. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms. I just want to add my uh, wishes to you. There's one uh, lady in, uh, in our midst this morning that I want to just particularly, particularly thank uh, because she has been like a mom uh, to me over the years since my mom passed away. And that is, I don't know where she's sitting, um, Carol Bester. Where's your hand, Carol Bester? She was in church. They were uh, couples that came around when my mom passed away. And she just loved us and cared for us over many, many years. That was 1991. And she continues to love us like a mom. And I want to say thank you so much for that. As Simon said, uh, last uh, week we started uh, back in Acts again, but a new series uh, called Expansion, and uh, we saw that the gospel expands even when there's persecution. In fact, when we looked at it last week, we saw that the persecution of the church is actually the fire starter that began to take the gospel to other nations. And so um, this gospel began to spread beyond the borders of Jerusalem. It began to spread beyond some of the lines that we as human beings put in place, things like race and politics. The gospel cut across all of that, and the reason is, is because God wants all people to come to know Jesus. And so he sends us to all people, and we've got to let some of those things that we hold so dear go in order for the gospel to expand and to advance. And so today we're going to carry on in the book of Acts, uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 26, and see how the gospel continued to expand, this time crossing social and cultural boundaries. Acts chapter 8, verse 26 says this, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet and asked him, do you understand what you are reading? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me and so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him, just so far uh, for uh, this part of what I'm going to be sharing. So the gospel's continuing to expand. And uh, what's really exciting for me in this particular passage is we see the gospel coming f for the first time to an African man, somebody born on the continent of Africa, our continent, the one where many of us were born, in God's heart, and he sends man, not in man's heart, to go and just go and proclaim God in God's heart. We've got to get the order right. It's so important. God's heart was to reach all nations. It wasn't that he sent a white man, a black man, a colored man, an Indian man to Africa. God sent believers to Africa so that we could come to know Jesus. And so today I want to take a look at this passage of Scripture under these headings, serving, seeking, initiating, and illuminating. Let's pray before we get into it. Father, I want to say thank you for your word. I want to say thank you that your word uh, speaks as clearly and as powerfully today as what it did many years ago 
when it was written. Lord, we thank you that you are wanting to accomplish the same things through your word today as what you did then. And Lord, I simply just want to pray that uh, our hearts would be open to hear what it is that you're saying to us. And Lord, that our hearts would not just be open to hear, but that our hearts would be open to obey. Now ask for that in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. So point number one, serving. Well, Philip is the servant that God uses in this passage of Scripture. And um, if you go and look and see, Duncan said it last week, but Philip is only mentioned a handful of times in Scripture. And so there's not so much said about him. If you had to compare him to somebody like Paul, very, very little is said about him. But something is said about him. And because something is said about him, we need to take note. Because God said all Scripture is breathed by him. All Scripture is useful uh, in the equipping of us to make us thoroughly uh, equipped for the good works that he has for us. And so there's something that he wants us to grasp uh, from Philip's life. And so I thought I would just look at some of those passages of Scripture, almost all of them actually, um, where Philip is mentioned. Because there's some characteristics and traits that I believe God uh, wants us to have as his servants, just like his servant Philip had. And the first is this trait of being full of the Spirit and wisdom. Acts chapter 6, verse 2 to 4 says this, So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer in the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group, And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And they also chose Philip and another five people. I want us to note that Philip was not one of the 12 disciples. And up until this point, Philip had been given no specific role to fulfill. And yet, we read that this man, Philip, was a man full of the Spirit and of wisdom. That's really important for us today, because that word uh, full means this, abounding in the things of the Spirit, occupied with the things of the Spirit. In other words, his life was about the things of God. His life was about the things of God, and all he was was just a follower of Jesus, a believer. No specific role yet, not one of the 12. Many of us fall into that category, don't we? So God's speaking to us, and what is he, uh, what, what is he saying? What, what does he want us to learn? He's wanting us to learn that, it's not, that we must not set our eyes on have, having a specific role and miss God using us in whatever capacity he wants us to use us before we have that role. But Philip does eventually get a role, and uh, that role is to serve widows. Serve widows... Um, in the distributing of food, waiting on their tables. And what does he do? He embraces it with gladness. He doesn't think to himself, you know, this is a little bit, somebody else can do this. I'm a person full of the spirit and, and, and wisdom, and now you're asking me to wait on widows. He embraces it gladly. What does God want us to learn? He's wanting us to learn that we, we, we need to be a people and servants of his who will embrace any role that he gives us gladly because it has the capacity to touch people's lives. 
We need to get less caught up on this is uh, the most important role and realize that God wants to use us no matter what the role. And so we see a man full of the spirit and wisdom, but we also see a proclaimer. Acts 8 verse 4 and 5 says this. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. That's where uh, Duncan preached from last week. Philip, as a servant of Jesus, proclaims Jesus wherever he went. And so did the other believers that were scattered. It's so important for us to recognize that Philip didn't go sharing this good news because the apostles had sent him. He went sharing this good news because he knew that Jesus had commanded and said of every believer, I want you to go and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so he went. He wasn't sent by the apostles. He went as a believer in Jesus um, to those beyond his immediate vicinity, to those in other, in other nations, every believer. What is God wanting us to learn He's wanting us to be those who proclaim the good news just because we follow Jesus. Not because we're anybody special, not because I'm a pastor, but because I put my faith in Jesus, I proclaim the good news of Jesus. He's also saying, don't wait until an outreach is organized. The apostles didn't organize an outreach. The believers didn't go because that was organized. No, they went because they wanted to obey Jesus. And God is wanting us to be like this servant, Philip, this morning. Next thing that we see in his life is that he was attentive to the Spirit's leading. Acts 26, 27, 29, and 30. We read it just now, but I'm going to read it again. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he started out. And then the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot, stay there. And then Philip ran up to the chariot. Philip was a servant who preached Jesus wherever he went, shared about Jesus wherever he went. Sometimes we can get so caught up in preaching, oh, I can't really do that. It's actually more about proclaiming Jesus wherever he went, right? Telling people about Jesus wherever he went. So he was somebody who obeyed that call. But he was also a, a, a servant of Jesus who was sensitive to the specific leading of the Spirit uh, when the Spirit uh, directed him. What do we learn from this? That God wants us to be servants who are not only obedient to the call to go and be witnesses, but servants who are also um, uh, sensitive to the Spirit of God when he calls us. And then the last characteristic that I see uh, in Philip's life, and I'm sure you could add many more, but uh, this is the one I saw. All of his life was impactful. Acts 21 verse 8 and 9 says this, Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the evangelist. This is Paul and company, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. See, this servant of God's life, Philip, his life had impact when he had no role. His life had impact on people when he had a role and he was uh, caring for widows. His life had impact on the people of Samaria when he went there. His life had impact on the, in, on the individual person of the Ethiopian eunuch that we're looking at today. And his life had impact on his family. 
His life had impact on his family, and we see that his, his, his daughters have this desire to also serve God. What are they doing? They are prophesying. What does God want us to learn from this? He wants us to see that our families mean a lot to him. Our families mean a lot to him, and I believe he's saying to us this morning, we need to believe him to have impact in our families once again. In our immediate families, our extended families, God is wanting us to believe that he can have impact in our families once again. So we see Philip serving. But my um, next heading is seeking. Acts 8 verse 26 to 28 says this, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. We see an Ethiopian eunuch who's seeking. And we see a God who's pursuing an Ethiopian eunuch. That's incredible. Who was this man? Well, the Bible doesn't tell us too much, but we know that he's an Ethiopian, so he's from Africa. Woohoo, for Africa. Yeah. He's from Africa, but he's a eunuch too, and it tells us a little bit of what he does. He, he looks after the treasury of the queen of Ethiopia. The Bible says he was an important official. So the aspects of this eunuch's life that are probably really great. He's got a sense of importance. He's a eunuch. He's quite high up. But the aspects of this guy's life that are definitely not that great. You see, under Old Testament law, a eunuch was considered as an imperfect person. And as an imperfect person, he was considered as somebody unclean. Why was he considered imperfect? Because most eunuchs had been emasculated by the king so that they would not be a threat to the king's harem. And so he was considered imperfect and there was no possibility of him joining the congregation of Israel in the temple, nor was there any possibility of him going into the Jewish court in the temple. The only option that he had to worship God was from a distance, in, in a sense from the outside, from the Gentile court. So we have a eunuch who is seeking. We have a eunuch who is considered imperfect. And yet he's seeking. I think he was probably seeking a couple of different things. Some uh, could be possibilities, some are definites. I think he was looking for love, considering what he'd been through. I think he was looking for value and acceptance. Maybe he was looking for a right standing or forgiveness with, with, with God. He was definitely seeking God. He was definitely seeking truth. He's a man that would go and worship in Jerusalem from the Gentile court, which wouldn't have been great, but he was there worshiping from the Gentile court. On his way home, he's reading from the scroll uh, what uh, the prophet Isaiah had to say about Jesus. You see, he's doing a whole lot of religious activity in his pursuit of God, but he's missing the most important thing. He's missing the person of Jesus. Why? Why is he missing the person of Jesus? Is it because he's not in those places? Is it because he's not uh, worshiping? No, he's missing the person of Jesus 
because nobody has ever helped him understand. There are people in your life and there are people in my life. And the only reason why they don't know the person of Jesus is because nobody has ever helped them to understand. And God's challenging us today. In this year, where our theme for the year is to cultivate. He's, he's, in, he, he's challenging us to cultivate this aspect of being somebody who will, who will help people understand who Jesus is. Help people understand. And you'll see as we go, um, it can be complicated, but it's less complicated than what we think. I think we've made it more than what it is. You might be here today, and you're seeking God. You're doing a whole lot of religious activity as well. You're praying. You're coming to church and worshiping. You're reading your Bible. None of those things are bad in and of themselves. But it's so possible to be doing all of those things and miss the person of Jesus. I want to say to you today, if you don't understand who Jesus is, there are people here who would love to help you to understand who he is. We'll be down front afterwards. Come and speak to us. Say, hi, don't grasp who this Jesus is. I love the worship. I think the band is really great. You guys seem like authentic and real. But I don't know who Jesus is. He wants you to know who he is so to surrender your life to him. So a God is, a God, a eunuch is seeking God. But God is pursuing a eunuch. And that brings me to my third point, initiating. I don't want us to miss who the initiator of the story is. The initiator of the story is God. He is the one who takes, uh, the, sends the angel to Philip. He is the one who speaks to Philip by the Holy Spirit. He is the one who sends Philip to this African, Ethiopian eunuch. It's God who sends Philip in his perfect timing. Philip arrives next to that chariot when this eunuch is reading from the prophet of Isaiah. A prophecy about the Messiah. A prophecy that Jesus fulfilled. That's when he arrives next to the chariot. It's not just any old passage that he's reading. He's reading about Jesus. Can I say this to us? None of our coming to Jesus was any less radical. Maybe somebody never came running along our car at the robot and suddenly started, jumped in and, and, um, and told us about Jesus. But the fact of the matter is this, is that it was always initiated by God. Always has been, always will be. That's important for us to hear. Because if we are going to be somebody who shares Jesus, we need to recognize that it's not up to us. We get to share. It's a wonderful privilege. But because Jesus has already initiated something in people's hearts, um, he's the one, he's the great evangelist, if you want to call it that. He's the one that does the initiating. Why do I say that? Because John 6 verse 44, Jesus speaking says, No one came to me unless the Father who sent me draw, drew him. I didn't come to Jesus, you didn't come to Jesus out of our cleverness. We came because there was a day when the Father began to draw us. And so I want us to know today, if we are following Jesus, that you, you weren't a grudge choice for him. You were a deliberate choice. He it deliberately initiated a plan of getting to you with the gospel because he loves you. He loves you deeply. You could be sitting in this room today because Jesus has deliberately begun to draw you. You don't know him yet. 
but he wants you to know him. He has initiated an action plan of showing you his love and his grace and his mercy. Can I say this too? God placed this eunuch in the path, placed Philip in the path of this eunuch. Because God wanted to do something in his life. God places us in the lives of people on a daily basis. Friends, colleagues, family, neighbors. Because he wants us to to have a conversation with them. And that brings me to my next point, which is illuminating. We've seen that Philip runs up to the chariot. He is so obedient to God, and the eunuch invites him up onto the chariot. And then this is what we read from verse 32 in Acts chapter 8. This is the passage of Scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. As a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. We must never underestimate what God can do in a one-on-one conversation. I think sometimes as church people, we can get so caught up with God only brings revelation and illumination of his word when it's preached from a, from a stage like this. No, no. No, no. This happens once a week, maybe a couple of times during the week. 52, let's push it to 100 times maybe during the year. Just one gathering, right? Just one gathering. We uh, meet people on a daily basis and we have opportunities to have one-on-one conversations with them. And what does God do? He brings revelation and illumination of his word. What does that mean? He helps us who don't understand a thing about God to all of a sudden begin to see this God loves me. And he came for me. It's like he switches the lights on. He switches the lights on where we were in darkness. We all of a sudden can see. And he wants to do that for some of uh, you here this morning. So he brings illumination of his word. I love one-on-one conversations. They allow for a number of different things. They allow us to listen. They allow us to care and show empathy. They allow us to specifically help. They allow us to ask questions. They allow somebody else to ask questions. And it allows us to then give some, some, some clarity in terms of the questions, turning to God's Word. And so I want to uh, just look this morning at uh, how Philip went about this. We don't know the whole story, so I'm going, to, uh, uh, I'm going to assume some things, but I can imagine it went like this. But Philip started with where the eunuch was at. That's really important. He was reading Scripture. Not everybody that we're going to come into contact with is going to be reading Scripture. But the eunuch was, and he had some questions. That's where Philip started. People that we come into contact with might have cares and anxieties and fears. That's where we can start with them. That's where we can start with them and point them to the one who gives peace and gives hope and gives courage. So uh, we don't know what this conversation looked like, but we know that Philip started with a passage that the, the eunuch was reading and told him the good news about Jesus. I can imagine maybe it looked a little bit like this. He's sitting up on the chariot now. 
And um, the eunuch has already told him, I don't understand. And Philip says to him, you know, guys, uh, let's, just, uh, let, let, let's just take a look at some of what you would have read before I joined the chariot. Maybe what, some parts that you've read in Isaiah um, after joining, uh, <laughs> you know, before, that you've read before. It says, maybe let's look at Isaiah 53 verse 6. It says this, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Maybe Philip said to the eunuch, you know what? This is man's problem. This is the biggest problem is that human beings have gone astray. They wanted to do things their own way. They abandoned God's way. They have rebelled against God. And so they're guilty before God. And then maybe he would have gone on and he would have said, but God didn't want us to stay in that place of guilt and condemnation. He always planned to send his son to die on our behalf because he loved us, but also because he wanted him to be a substitute. He wanted him to be the one who would pay the price for our sin and bear the consequences for our sin. That's why it says in verse 6 that the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And in verse 32, it says he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Verse 5, he was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. And verse 3 says he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. And maybe as Philip shared this, the eunuch all of a sudden felt his heart being drawn because Yah was a man God, who understood pain, understood rejection and suffering, and maybe it intrigued him, I don't know. Maybe Philip then said to him, you know, Jesus was beaten on his back 39 times. Then he was made to carry his cross, and then he was fastened to that cross, not with ropes, but his nail, he was nailed to that cross. Thorn was placed on his, on his head, a spear was shoved through his side, and yet at the end of all of that, his, his, what he cried out to his father for was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's exactly what we read about in verse 11. My righteous service, servant will justify many. You see, Jesus came so that we could stand before God just as if we had never sinned. Maybe the eunuch said to him, but he's dead. And Philip would have said, no, he's not dead. He promised he would rise again after three days, and he did just that. That's why verse 10 says he will seize offspring and pro prolong his days. He's not dead. He's alive. He's able to see us, and he's able to prolong our days. Maybe the eunuch then uh, said, yes, that's great for everybody else, but I am a eunuch after all. At which point Philip might have turned to this verse in Isaiah 56, verse 3 to 5, and said, let no foreigner... Who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry, dry tree. For this is what the Lord says, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name, better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. Can you imagine the man, if he had read that passage of Scripture, that had to worship God from the Gentile court, hearing that he can now be a son and a daughter, but even better than that, an everlasting name, an everlasting name.
Maybe Philip, just to help this uh, eunuch to really understand that the Jesus that we read about in Isaiah 53 is a Messiah, and Jesus called himself the Messiah, might have just picked up Isaiah 61 verse 18 and 19 and said, Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus sat down and said, guys, today, this is fulfilled in your midst. Jesus is the Messiah that was prophesied about. Philip would have said to the eunuch, and he came to set us free. Free from our sin, free from our imperfections, free from rejection and the thoughts of rejection and isolation. He came to show us favor. Came to show us his grace, his unmerited favor that we could have never earned ourselves, but that he paid the price for. God had much more in store for an Ethiopian eunuch than I think maybe even Philip realized. Maybe Philip just thought he's going to do a little bit of explaining what God's word says, but God was after his heart. God was wanting to save him that day. And by the end of the passage, if we had read it, we see that he believes. Not only does he believe, but he wants to immediately identify with who Jesus is. He wants to get baptized, and he gets baptized. He sees some water. I want to get baptized. He gets baptized. How incredible. He starts off with a bang. No lukewarmness. He's not wanting to um, kind of keep the secret. He steps out there, and he starts out with a bang. I'm standing for Jesus from today. That's what a one-on-one conversation can do in people's lives. That's what a one-on-one conversation can do. And there's too many people that need Jesus. For it to rest on me, on Simon, on James, on any one of the elders, we all need to pick up our responsibility and make Jesus known. And he wants to help us with it. He wants to help us with it. And so I want to um, just finish off today with two stories um, two stories from my life. I'm deliberately going back many years to before I was a pastor. Because sometimes we think, yeah, obviously, man, you're a pastor. It was long before I was a pastor. Long before I was anything. I was just somebody who loved Jesus and followed him. Two stories. One is a little bit more of a specific leading of God, and the other one is a little bit of just what happens can happen in the course of our daily lives. So first one, I'm in church many years ago. Out of the corner of my eye, I see a young guy, and um, I feel uh, God drawing my heart uh, towards him, putting him on my heart, and I feel God saying, this uh, young guy feels like I can love and forgive everybody else, but not himself. And so after the gathering, I head over to him, I introduce myself, because I've never met him before, I ask him if he wants to grab a cup of coffee, he does, we sit down, and um, and we, we have some uh, normal kind of uh, chat. Who are you? What do you do? That kind of stuff. And then I asked him this question. I said, is there something that you feel everybody else can receive from God, but you can't? He didn't hesitate. Didn't hesitate to say, I don't believe God can love me or forgive what I've done. I said to him, uh, why do you say that? And he began to tell me some of the things uh, that he'd done. It wasn't great. But I listened to him. And I pointed him to Scripture, said to him, but the Bible says that we all have sinned 
every one of us has fallen short of God's glory. And I said to him, take a look with me at uh, David. Look at what David did. David committed adultery with Bathsheba, had her husband killed, and yet he's repentant towards God, and God forgives him. And what about Paul? Standing by as Stephen is being stoned, breathing out murderous threats against God's people, having them imprisoned and beaten, and yet God forgives him, and a big chunk of the New Testament is written by that very man, Paul. I said to him, it doesn't matter what we've done, God wants to forgive us. All of a sudden, the lights had come on, just from those few stories, and he was ready to receive Jesus, but at the beginning, he had no understanding that he could be forgiven. I don't know what he had heard in the past, but he didn't think it was for him, but it was for him. That's the first story. The other one, a little bit more, more natural, if I had to call it that, as the band comes up. Natural in some ways, in, in, in the sense that it was just part of a normal day. I just started working. I'd finished uh, varsity. I was in my first uh, job. I had a colleague, um, and uh, that colleague, um, at a point in time, his mom found out that she had cancer. And obviously, he was devastated. She was devastated. And then I was just kind of who Vaughn is, right? I... I one or two days after I heard, went to go and buy a, a bunch of flowers, gave it to him, said, hey, give this to your mom. Just tell her we're thinking of her. I've never met her. We're thinking of her. I'm praying for her, and I wrote her a little bit of a, little bit of a note. Then I found out, when is she going in for chemo? Oh, she's going in for chemo. Then what do, what, what do your mom and your dad eat? Oh, they like to eat this. Okay, organized a couple of meals, took it over to the house, just normal conversation, you know, you know, that kind of thing. This happened on a number of different occasions, just caring for and loving her. But every time I would write a note to say, praying for you. Right at, uh, um, I don't know how many months in it was, um, when I was at her house, she said this. She said, Vaughn, uh, every time you have brought something, you say, I'm praying for you. Do you believe that God can actually heal? I said, absolutely, I believe God can heal. He healed people in Scripture. He heals people today. And then I said something that maybe if I had have really thought about it, wouldn't have necessarily seemed like the best idea, but I said, but He doesn't always heal. She said, what do you, what, what do you mean? I said, my mom passed away with cancer and we prayed and He doesn't always heal. And so it's important that uh, in our seeking of the physical healing, we don't miss the greater healing. We need to also make sure we ask God for the greatest healing. And she said, I don't understand, Vaughan. I said to her, the greatest healing is that we have a disease and it's called sin. It's like a cancer. We can't get rid of it ourselves. No chemo is going to get rid of it. It's only the blood of Jesus is going to get rid of it and begin to just share some scriptures with her. She didn't give her life to Jesus that day. But months down the road, she did give her life to Jesus. She went into remission. Fantastic news. And then many years after that, she passed away from another sickness. 
See, the reality is we can be healed of a physical illness in the moment right now and miss out on the greatest healing, which is a spiritual healing, when we get to heaven one day. And let me just say, it's not just a spiritual healing when we get there. It's a, it's a full package deal. It's a spiritual healing. It's a physical healing. It's an emotional healing. No more rejection. No more pain. No more sickness. It's a full deal. Because that's how good God is. And so this morning, I'm going to ask uh, us to stand. Now, first of all, I want to just, or maybe you can just close your eyes. I want to first of all speak to anybody in this room uh, that doesn't maybe know Jesus. Maybe you've got a bit of an understanding of who he is today. Maybe you still want to talk more. That's absolutely fine. But maybe you're wanting to respond to him today. Maybe you know enough to say, I want to put my faith in Jesus. I want to give you that opportunity today. Maybe you've done everything that you know religious to do. But today, you've recognized that it's Jesus that you actually need. If that's you, I want to pray for you. Um, while uh, eyes are bowed and head, well, heads are bowed and eyes are closed, could I ask you to put up your hand, not to embarrass you, because I want to pray for you. I want to see who you are because Jesus sees who you are and he loves you. Is there anybody? Anybody in that space this morning? Just put up your hand really nice and high. I see that, but well done, man. Jesus has been speaking to you this morning. He loves you deeply. Every single one of you have got your hands up. I want to pray for you. That's what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you in your heart just to say, Jesus, I don't know you completely yet, but I know that you died for my sin. And I know that you love me. Forgive my sin this morning. Lord, make me your son and daughter. Lord, I want to pray for people who have just prayed that. Lord, I want to pray that uh, this journey of following Jesus would change their life forever, God. Lord, I want to pray that they would go in their understanding of who you are. And Lord, I pray today that even um, as I've shared about the opportunities that we have to share you one-on-one -on -one with our friends, that they would be um, people that would do that um, in the days and the months and the years to come, God. Lord, for now, though, Lord, I pray that they would know your deep love shed abroad in their hearts, that you're a God who loves, who forgives, and has received them with open arms. I want to say thank you for that today, Lord Jesus. And then I want to speak to us who follow Jesus. Jesus wants people's lives to be touched and changed through our lives, and it can happen through one-on-one -on -one conversations. Just caring for people where they're at, who knows what God might do to change the destiny of somebody's life and that person's family just because you were willing to introduce Jesus into the conversation. We're going to sing a song uh, right now. It's called I Speak Jesus. I think sometimes uh, when we sing this song, we can drift into almost like a passiveness as, as if we will just walk around, walk in our neighborhoods and speak Jesus. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be praying for our neighborhoods and doing that as we're walking, but there's more to it. There's more to it. God's wanting us to actually embody this, I will speak Jesus. I will speak Jesus to those who are in the, in the pit of depression. I will speak Jesus to those who have no hope. 
I will speak Jesus to my family. I'm going to tell people about who Jesus is. I'm going to point them to the Word of God and tell them how much He loves them. No longer will I be silent. That's what God's calling us today, to today. So we're going to sing, sing that in a couple of moments. And I am praying that our hearts, but more than our hearts, our lives will live this out. And then Simon will come up and close us off. Thanks, guys.